Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll begin reading this morning in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today that you've blessed us so much and given us health so that we can be in the Lord's house. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us such a beautiful day. All good things come from you, and we praise you. But we thank you most of all, Lord, for your greatest gift, and that is Jesus Christ, your Son, who you sent from heaven to die for us and then rise from the grave so that we could have salvation if we'd only believe. I thank you, Lord, that you give us your word that tells us about that. And in your word, you give us instructions about all kinds of things, how we're to live. And one of those instructions is how to give or why we should give. And so, Lord, we pray that you might bless the message today as we look at the subject, why give to God and accomplish your will in each of our hearts. And if someone here who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, we pray that they might understand that today is a day for receiving, receiving Christ and trusting him. I pray that they might do that today before it's too late. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you remember, but several years ago, we, we uh, viewed one of the films of the Kendricks brothers, who I think one of their first, probably their first one, and uh, it was entitled Flywheel. And it was a story of a used car salesman, and uh, he, was, he would go to church with his family, but he really wasn't into the Lord at all. <laughs> and uh, so the offering was passed, and uh, he looked around and noticed some people might be looking at him, so he grabbed an offering uh, envelope, and he held it like this, and he sealed it closed, and when the offering came around, he put it, put it in the offering plate. There was nothing in the envelope, he just wanted, didn't, wanted to make make it look like he was giving something. Well, the Lord changed his life after that, and he realized it was a privilege to give. Sometimes we are not very good at giving as God's people, and we should be. I heard the account of one time of a little boy about a junior age. You know, juniors will tell you what they think. And um, he was sitting in church, and his, his dad, the offering his place, he noticed his dad looked a little bit nervous and finally reached his billfold and pulled out a dollar bill, and when the plate went by, he put it in. And so on the way home that day, his dad was complaining about the service and about the message, and it wasn't very good and all that. And the little boy looked at him and said, Daddy, if you'd put more into it, maybe you'd have got more out of it. <laughs> and that's very true. The subject of giving to God would not be resisted by God's people at all if we would understand two facts. The first one is this. Everything we have comes from God. And then the second one is this, everything we have still belongs to God. It still belongs to him. It's not ours, it's his. He's just entrusted us with it. These facts are true of believers and unbelievers, 
of the godly and of the ungodly, of the righteous and of the wicked. Now, we do not expect for unbelievers to grasp and accept these truths. Their minds are blinded and they cannot see and their hearts are hardened so they will not see. But believers should understand these truths and respond correctly to them. Everything we have came from God, and everything that we have still belongs to God. That's why Job could, after losing all that he lost, you remember Job in one day lost 7,000 sheep. He lost 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, that yoke is, that, so it would be t- probably 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and later when the donkeys were killed, it just says the donkeys or the asses, and uh, so it probably included not only female donkeys, but male donkeys as well. And then he lost all the servants that took care of those animals in different groups. There were servants taking care of them in different places. He lost all of those. He also lost his seven sons and his three daughters and the home that his son was in, his oldest son was in, where all of them had gathered, and that was destroyed. All of that happened to Job in one day. And you know what Job said after it was all over? He said, Naked came, out out of, came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, let me reason with you. If what God gave to Job belonged to Job, then God would have been a thief because he took away from Job what was Job's. But that's not true. You see, what you have is entrusted to you, but it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. What Job had belonged to God, it wasn't Job's, and therefore Job could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, the Bible says that we as God's people are stewards. We're stewards of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that that a steward is to be faith is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, what is a steward? A steward is someone who manages a household or an estate for somebody else. A steward in New Testament times was quite often a slave or a servant, and he was in, he was trusted by his master, and he gave to him things to take care of, and he was a steward of those things. And Matthew tells us about in chapter twenty-five. You remember about. Uh, this, this master who uh, went on a journey and he left his things, his, and the Bible says his goods were delivered unto his servants. And then later it says when this one servant didn't do right, it says that, uh, that he hid his Lord's money. So it was still his Lord's. It was still his Lord's goods. And, the Lord, and this master gave to one five talents, another two talents, another one talent. The one took the five talents and increased it to ten. The one took the two talents and increased it to four. And the one who had the one talent was afraid of his master, and so he didn't do anything with it except hid it in the ground. And so that it would be there when his master came back. And, of course, he was a, an unwise a servant, and the master rebuked him for that. The Bible tells us in, in the 1 Corinthians 4 that ministers of Christ are stewards of the mysteries of God. God has given us the scripture, and God has called me to preach the word of God. And I am duty-bound by God to take this word which he has given to, him, to me and uh, to us, and uh, it's his word, and to rightfully uh, uh, divide the word of truth. I am a steward of the word of God, and God gives me the privilege of expounding it, uh, teaching it, preaching it. 
Titus chapter 1 says a bishop, that is a pastor, must be blameless as the stewards of God and goes on to say holding fast the word of God. Now understanding that, we, we know that what we have came from God, what we have still belongs to God. We want to ask the question then, why give to God? Why give to God? I want to give you some reasons this morning. There'll be six of them that I give you. Why give to God? We're talking to believers. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're not trying to give you to get you to give. We're trying to get you to receive. The Lord Jesus Christ died for you. He wants to be, be your Savior. He rose from the grave, paid for all your sins, and wants to save you if you'll believe Him and trust Him. And if you do, He'll give you eternal life. He'll give you the promise of a home in heaven. He'll give you so much, so you need to receive today. But for believers, we need to give to the Lord. Why should we give to the Lord? First of all, we should give to God because we are impressed with God's goodness to us. Are you impressed with God's goodness to you? We should be. God is so good to us. In order for us to understand that, we have to begin by saying that we're undeserving. You don't, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve the goodness of God. You don't deserve to live. We all rebel against God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And the reason is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's based on Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. In Psalm 14 and 53, it says God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did understand or seek God. And he said, they're all gone away. And then he uses terms in that passage to describe, uh, describe them. They're all gone away. They're undeserving. And he says that they're sinful. They're corrupt. And then he uses the word abominable. You know what that means? God says they're abominable. That means they're disgusting. As a holy God looks at us in our, in our situation of sin, he says we're disgusting. And then he says we're no good, none good whatsoever. And then he says we've gone back. That means we're rebels. And then he uses the word filthy. Now, when you see yourself as God sees you, you understand you don't deserve the blessings of God. You don't deserve food. You don't deserve health. You don't deserve anything that God gives you. You don't deserve it. We need to understand that. And understanding that, we should be impressed that God would give to us. So we should give to him because we're impressed that he's given to us and he's so good to us. God is good to us. You see, God gives you life. God gives you your body that you have. Uh, God gave you that body. God gives you a body that has capabilities of doing things and movement. And he gives you a brain that's the best computer around. God gives you that. And God gives you breath to breathe. And he gives you health. And he gives you ability. And he gives you food to eat. And he gives you your possessions. And he gives you people who are blessed who are, blessed, who are a blessing to you. God gives you those things. The Bible says every, in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from, from above, from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything comes from God, and we all to him. So as, when we consider who we are without Jesus Christ and how good to us God is, even after we exceed, receive Jesus, he is so good to us. We should be impressed by that, and we should want to give to him. The Bible says in John 3, God so loved the world that he gave. 
Yes, he gave his only begotten son. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saves sinners. Are you impressed by that? That God would save you? God saved us when we believed. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not, not of works, that any man should boast. We don't deserve to go to heaven. I've been saved for many years. I was saved when I was 22, and I'm now, well, you know how old I am. <laughs> I'm 78. That's a long time. But if I got what I deserve today, it wouldn't be heaven. It would be hell because of sin past sin that I haven't been able to take care of, but Jesus took care of it. You see, Jesus is my Savior. I owe everything to him. And I should, I should want to give to him because I'm impressed how good he's been to me. And then there's another reason. We should give to God because he tells us to. Now, of all the things we've looked at this, so far on Sunday mornings in the series I'm in on, on why, why live godly? Because God tells you to. Why pray? God tells you to. Why trust God? God tells you to. Why, why wait on God? God tells you to. Why go to church? God tells you to. Why give to God? Because God tells you to. That's a good reason. Well, the Bible says God tells us to give. You know, I, I look back, and, and I hadn't thought of this before, but I look back at Adam and Eve, and uh, it must be that, that God had told Adam and Eve to give. And... Uh, the Bible says that they had two children, where it was Cain and Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Cain and Abel brought sacrifices unto the Lord. And, and Cain brought of the first fruit of the ground, and, uh, and Abel brought of the first fruits of the flock that he raised. And God was displeased with Cain's offering, but pleased with Abel's offering. Why is that? The Bible says in, in, uh, in Hebrews that by faith Abel offered unto God. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, faith, the Bible says in First Corinthians, or rather in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The only way Abel could have exercised faith is he heard the word of God. That means God told him to do it. And Cain said, I'm not going to do what God tells me to do. I'm not going to go. I'm a farmer, and I, I, I raise crops like that. But my, my brother, he's the shepherd. I don't want to go to him and ask for a sheep. I'm going to bring up what I, what I have is as good as what he has. That had nothing to do with it. God told you to bring a sheep, and he didn't. And so it displeased the Lord. So God gave to Adam and Eve and told them to give, and they passed that knowledge on down to their sons, and they knew what to do. Under Old Testament law, they were, they were told to give the first fruits unto the Lord. Exodus 13, verse 2 says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, both man and beast, it is mine. So the firstborn belonged to the Lord. Exodus chapter 22 says the first of the ripe fruits belong to the Lord, and also the juice from the presses belong to the Lord. And so everything they had belonged to the Lord. In fact, Numbers chapter 15 says this detail, if first that to the Lord belongs first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord. First of your dough. <laughs> I mean the dough that the ladies made the, the bread out. The first fruits belong to the Lord. And so everything, all these first things belong to the Lord, so God told them to, to give to the Lord. In fact, he, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says this, 
honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. All thine increase. God commanded them to do it. Malachi chapter 3, he says, you have rebelled against me. They said, well, how have we rebelled against you? And he says, in tithes and offerings, and you have robbed God because you didn't bring the tithes and offerings which I told you to. You've robbed God, and therefore you're you're to do what what I told you to do, bring bring the tithes and offerings into the Lord. (laughs) Bring those into the storehouse of the Lord. Well, what about tithing? Some people say, well, tithing, you know, that's the Old Testament. We don't have to do that. No, we don't have to do that. God doesn't say in the New Testament, you make sure that you tithe. God doesn't say that. But there's reasoning where you can find out that God does intend for us to do that. You see, tithing was true before the law. You remember Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek, who had that name, was the only priest after that order. Later, the Lord developed the order of the priesthood after Aaron, and uh, so they were the priests and tithes were brought to them. But now the law's over, and the Bible says there is someone that's come on the scene, and that his name is Jesus Christ, and guess who he's a priest after the order of? Not Aaron, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, i just reason with you today, if God had tithing before the law and he had tithing during the law, and now Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, don't you think he probably wants us to bring to him? And I believe if God said a tenth for the Old Testament people, that surely as much as we have, we should at least do that for the Lord. And so I think we should give to the Lord because he has told us to. Also, we should give to God because we are, we are to imitate him. You see, the Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The word followers there is the word that we get our word mimic from or imitate. And God says we are to imitate God. We're to mimic God. We are to be like God, like the old phrase, what would Jesus do? We're to mimic God. We're to be like him. And on that passage, it says, Therefore, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us. If we're going to be like God, we should probably give because God gives. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Well, sure we are. Every Christian has the Spirit of God living in him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us, and we are partakers of his divine nature. And so being representative of Jesus, partakers of his divine nature, don't you think we should be like God is? And God is a giver. Remember James 1.17? Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, said the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's a giver. So if we're going to imitate God, if we're going to be like God, then we should give. And uh, you don't imitate God by being miserly. You see, 
you are, if you're miserly, you're miserly with the things that God gave you and that don't belong to you, they belong to God. So you say, it's mine, and I'm going to keep it, and nobody's going to get it. I'm not going to share. I'm not going to help people. I'm not going to give to the Lord. It's mine. I worked hard for it, and it's mine. No, it's not yours. It's the Lord. And if you're miserly, you're not being like God. Aren't you glad God's not that way? He so freely gives to all of us. He gives to all of us. So God's a giving God, and we're to imitate him. Let me give you another reason why we should give to God. We should give to God because, because giving demonstrates our love and our thanksgiving to God. Our love for God and our thanksgiving to God. Look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We looked at chapter 9 a while ago, but let's look at chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. A little background. Paul was collecting, taking up a collection from the churches for the saints at Jerusalem who were going through a rough time. And he traveled around the churches, and he'd been to the churches of Macedonia, and he, and he bragged on the Corinthians. He said, the Corinthians were ready a year ago, and they're waiting for me to come. And then he writes the Corinthians and says, now, I've bragged on you to Macedonia. Don't you disappoint me. And don't will you wait till I get there to get it all gathered up. I mean, I told them that you were ready. Make sure that you are. Evidently, they told Paul that they were ready. And he says, make sure that you are. And so uh, have your gift ready so we can take it to the Jerusalem church. And he says, now, to the Corinthians, he says, this grace that's been developed in these people in Macedonia, make sure that it's developed in you as well. I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness, forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And then he follows that verse with this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I remind you, he says, how good God is and how much he loves you and to prove that you love him, give. And so when we give to the Lord, we prove that we love him. If you say, I love Jesus, but you never give to the work of the Lord, God would say, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus if you won't obey Jesus. You remember what the Lord says? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. <laughs> if you love the Lord, keep his commandments. And so we're to give to the Lord. And um, it also not only expresses our love to him, but it also expresses our thanks to God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've heard, we read verses 6 through 8. Let's look at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which God causeth through us, thanksgiving to God. He says, I want you to give. I want you to understand that God's been so good to you, and when you give, you express thanksgiving to God. For the ministration of the service not only, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but, of, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. 
And so you see, when you give to God, it's expressing your thanks to him. It's saying, Lord, thank you so much. I come to church on Sunday and look back over the week. It might have been a rough week, Lord, but you got me through it. And all of your promises are so true, and you've been so good to me, Lord. Thank you. And you give to the Lord. And so God wants us to give to him because it's our way of expressing thanks to the Lord. Notice how he ends that passage, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. If you're thankful to the Lord, one way you express that is giving to God. So giving to God will express your love to him and your thanksgiving to him. And then there's another reason we should give to God. We should give to God because he promises to promises to bless those who give to him. Now, we all like that. You know, you all, all like that. And God doesn't want us to feel guilty because we want his blessings. He says, I'm going to do this. If you give, I'll bless. And so God promises to do that. Now, I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel today or anything like that. I'm just saying that God wants us to give, and he says he'll bless us if we do. But when we give, our motive has to be right. You see, God sees right into your heart. He knows. He knows if the only reason you're giving is so that he'll be good to you, he knows that motive. He knows all about it. He expresses that in, in, first, in uh, first Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Notice what it says. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. So when we give, we don't give grudgingly or of necessity. The Lord says this, if you gave in the offering this morning and when the plate came, came by, you wished you didn't have to do it. Oh, oh. I know brother so-and-so is watching, so I'm going to do me a favor. Put your billfold back in your pocket and don't take anything out of it and don't put it in the offering. God doesn't need your gifts. You remember, all you have is still his. <laughs> it belongs to him. He doesn't need anything you have. But he has set it up so that he accomplishes a lot of his work through the, through the offerings of God's people. Did he have to do that? No, he could just supernaturally supply. I mean, he could supernaturally did like he did fed the 5,000. You know, just multiply and give it to you. You wouldn't have to go to work. God just, you go to the table and there it is. God could do that, but he doesn't. He wants you to be like him. God's a working God. God's a busy God. God's a, a productive God. God wants us to be that way. And God wants us to be, a, be givers like he is. And he wants us to enjoy the blessings that he has by, giving, by, uh, by us giving. And so the Lord says, I want you to give. But listen, don't give grudgingly. If you give grudgingly, just keep it. And don't give of necessity. Oh, I just have to do this. I wish I didn't have to. Uh, don't do that. Give to the Lord. And so the Lord says, give with the right motive. And then he says, cheerfully, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I pointed this out, and you've probably heard other preachers point this out because it's very obvious, and that is the word cheerful in the Greek language is the word hilaros. Hilaros. What do we get our word from, English word? Hilarious. <laughs> Being a hilarious giver, giver, one who enjoys giving. I can honestly say I enjoy giving, and uh, I really do. I like when the offering plate's passed, and, 
and I put offerings in there, I enjoy that. I enjoy it when people send money to the church, you know, once put it in the offering, and I'll put it in the offering envelope, and I look forward to dropping it in the plate for them. <laughs> you see, God wants us to enjoy our giving to the Lord. And so he says, have the right motive. You see, the right motive is important to God because he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. He's never impressed with your gift. Now, he's, he wants us to do it with the right motive and because we love him and he tells us to. He likes that. But the amount doesn't impress God. That doesn't mean the amount is not important. It is because he says, you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But God looks at the heart. The perfect examples in the Gospels, you know, remember, you remember when the widow lady appeared, they were at the temple, and the rich men were giving their offerings. And they were giving a whole lot of money. I mean, maybe one of them dropped a $1,000 equivalent in, in, in the plate or something and, or in the box. And here comes this little widow. She's down to her last two mites, let's say two pennies. And she comes up to the offering, Nobody knows what she's giving. Nobody knows. They know it can't be much, but the Lord knows. And she dropped in both mites that she had. She was trusting God, and she loved God. And God said, you know who gave the most? Well, the answer would be, well, the rich people gave the most. And the Lord said, no, she gave the most. Because they gave of their abundance, and she gave her poverty. She gave it all. Now, I'm not saying you have to give everything you have. That's not the point. The point is God looks at the heart. And if your heart's right, the amount's probably going to be right as well. We should give as God has prospered. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, As God hath prospered him, so let a man give as God hath prospered him. God knows how he's prospered you. You know how he's prospered you. You give as God has prospered you. Now, does that mean you should give when you get some extra? Sure you should. Does that mean that if you get a bonus, you could say, well, that's not my paycheck. I didn't work for that. That was a bonus. I don't have to. If that's the kind of reasoning you have, you're not very appreciative that God gave you that bonus. <laughs> and he could have not given it to you. No, God gives you a bonus. You give a tithe on that bonus at least and give to the Lord. God wants us to give. So God wants us to give as God hath prospered us. And then he says, if you do that, I'll bless you. 2 Corinthians 9, he who soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He who soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I mean, God's trying to get the point across to us. I will bless if you give. Luke chapter 6, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's like, you know, I, I've used this illustration once, another time I think, and let's say you went to buy a, a, a bushel of beans. You know, a bushel of beans is pretty... A pricey these days, but let's say you bought a bushel of beans, and the guy who sought you that sold you that bushel just made sure that it was right up to the top, and that was it, and that was a bushel. 
and you paid the price. And then he went to another place to get another bushel of beans, and this guy had a big smile on his face, and, I mean, he's acting like a Christian. I mean, he just seemed to happy. And it came time for him to fill your bushel, and he filled it full, and then he got down there and started pushing on it. And then he put some more in there, and then he picked up the basket, and he shook it like this. And he was trying to get as much as he could, and it was running over, and he said, now, there's your bushel. Well, in olden days, we called that a Methodist measure. I don't know why they called it that. I guess Methodists were known to be uh, that way. That's good. That's, that's a good thing. Hopefully, it would be called a Baptist measure. <laughs> but uh, he, they, he gave you even more, and that's what it says. You give to me, and I'll do the same thing. I'll give to you so that it's pushed down and pressed together and shaken and running over. <laughs> I'll give to you. God has promised. And then you remember Malachi, it says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open up you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. God says, prove me. You say, well, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I don't have the money. God says, prove me. Prove me. Who's asking you to prove him? (laughs) The God of the universe who owns everything. He owns everything you have, everything everybody else has. He he owns uh, everything that nobody possesses yet. He owns everything. God owns it all. And he said, you prove me. If I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, God can do that. So we should give because God's promised to bless those who give. Then I want to give you one other result, one other reason why give to God. We should give to God because withholding from God will result in our hurt. If you withhold from God, it will result in your hurt. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this, There is that scattereth, and yet, in, and yet increaseth. And there is that that withholdeth more than is meat, but tendeth to poverty. In other words, he's saying, there's the open-hand Christian. The Lord gives him blessings, and they pass through his hands, and he gladly lets it pass through his hands and on to other things, uh, to the church and to individuals to help them, and God just keeps blessing and blessing. And then there's that, they get the blessings of the Lord, and, and they grab a hold of it like this. They're clenched fist Christians. And when God gives them something, they want to hold on to it, and nobody's going to get it. God says... That'll bring you to poverty. He says, there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. You remember the Lord said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Your life doesn't consist in how much money you have or how many things you have. And then he went on to tell the story. He said, there was a certain rich man. His crops were bumper crops, And he had so much that he said, I fill all my barns up. What am I going to do? I know I'll tear down my barns and build greater, and I'll fill them all up, and I'll say, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord said, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be? Tonight you'll die, and guess what you'll leave? All of it. All of it. Why? It wasn't yours. It was God's. And God will give it to somebody else and trust them with it and see what they do with it. God says he wants us to make sure that we understand 
Life does not consist in the abundance of things that we possess. And then a perfect example of that, and maybe he was the same one, because the Bible says a certain rich man, he tells that story, and then it comes to chapter 16 of Luke, and he says there was a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day. And there was a man by the name of Lazarus who set his, his, his gate full of sores. And the rich man died, and it ended up in, and lifted up his eyes in torment, torment in the flame, flames of hell. And Lazarus died, and he was comforted in Abraham's bosom. All of a sudden, the tables changed. Laz, the rich man who had everything lost it all. Lazarus, who didn't have much, gained it all. And so the Lord says, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. You see, if you don't honor God in giving to him, you'll suffer because of it. You'll suffer because of it. Turn with me in your Bibles back to the Old Testament prophet Haggai. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So go to Matthew and go back. Malachi is the last book in the Bible, and two more is the book of Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Talking about the, the house of the Lord. It's lying waste. It's not taken care of. It's fallen down and everything. And yet they had their nice houses, you know, and they had their, their uh, uh, hardwood floors and maybe equivalent to that. And they had their sealed houses, probably had paneling of, of, uh, of different woods and everything. And, and, it was, and that day it was really nice what they had. <laughs> and he says that right for you to sit in your nice houses and the house of the Lord lie waste. And, it's, it's, and he says this, Now therefore thus saith the Lord, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat and have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. In other words, all this you have doesn't satisfy. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. <laughs> you can't get even. You can't seem to prosper, and yet you say, I just can't afford to give to the Lord. The Lord says, consider your ways. If you don't give to God, you'll be hurt by it. So we've given you this morning six reasons to give to God because we're so impressed with God's goodness to us, because God tells us to give, because we are supposed to imitate God and be like he is, and he's a giver. Because giving demonstrates our love for and thanks to God. Because he promises to bless those who give. And because withholding from God will result in our hurt. Now knowing these reasons for giving, let's all determine to be better givers to the Lord. As I've told you many times, I don't know what you give and I don't want to know. I could, but I don't want to. I've determined through all of my ministry and uh, all the ministry in West Virginia and here that I would not look at the books to know what people give. It's none of my business. But God knows. <laughs> and you need to determine that you're going to give to the Lord as he wants you to give to him. And I promise you, if you do, God will bless you. 
Now, we began this message by saying that if we believe two truths, it would help us not to resist God, giving to God. Those true truths are this. Everything we have comes from God, and everything we have belongs to God. There's a man in the Bible that learned this lesson, and he stated it very well. And his name was David, King David. If you'll turn back with me as we close this morning in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we find the account of David. You remember David desired to build the temple for the Lord. And God told him, David, no, you can't do that. You've shed too much blood. You've been too much of a man of war, and I'm not going to let you build the temple. I'll let your son Solomon build it. But David, you can gather things in. Get ready. So that when he becomes king, he can start building the temple that I wouldn't let you build. So David did that. He set his heart to it. And the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter, chapter 29, David said this in verse 3, I have prepared of mine own for the holy house. He said, all the things I brought in, then in addition, I have prepared of my own things for the holy house. Verse 5, he says, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? He said, I've done all this that I'm doing. Now, who else would like to get in on this and contribute? And the Bible says they contributed. The chief of the fathers contributed. The princes contributed. The captains, the rulers, they offered willingly to the Lord. And then after that, after they gathered all in, the people rejoiced and also King David rejoiced. And now let's look at verse 11. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. David said this, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Remember, everything we have came from God. And thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is, is to make great, and, thine, and, and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. And then notice what he says. But who am I? Well, you're the king. He says, who am I? He's impressed by the goodness of God. And he says, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Who am I that we should be able to offer? It shouldn't be that we have this idea, you know, oh, I have to give to the Lord. We should say, praise God, I'm able to give to the Lord. Who am I that, that, that we would be able, and we that we should be able to give after this sort? For all things come of thee. Remember what we said? Everything comes from God. And then it says this, and of thine own have we given thee. Everything we have came from you, and of thine own, in other words, it still belongs to you, and of thine own have we given to you. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were our fathers, all our on the day, all the days of earth are, are the days of the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thine house for thine holy name cometh of thine own of thine hand and is all thine own. You see, he got the point. Everything I have came from God, and everything I have still belongs to God. What a blessing that God would allow me to give what is already his and bless him. Now, what if I called 
Joshua up here this morning. I said, Joshua, it's so good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. And then I reach around and grab his pocketbook. And, uh, and I take out of it a $20 bill. And I say, Joshua, I appreciate you so much. I'd like to give you this $20 bill. Joshua would look at me and says, Pastor, are you crazy? That's my money. You know what you mean? You're giving me my money. That's exactly what God does for us. He gives us everything we have. We put some of it in our pocket. We put some of it in the bank. We put some of it in buying things for ourselves and all of that. And the Lord says, now I'm going to let you in on a real blessing. You get to take some of my money and give it to me, and I'm going to bless you for it. Bless me, Lord, for giving your money back to you. Yes, that's the way it is. Isn't that amazing? So we should want to give to God because God's so good to us. I ask you this morning, do you give to the Lord as you should? If not, I ask you this, why? Let's pray. Father, thank you today that you love us. Lord, you've been so good to us. The greatest gift you ever gave was when you gave your son. And I pray, Lord, after we've received so many things from you that we would not, not be miserly Christians. Help us to be Sea of Galilee Christians. The sea has a river running into it and a river running out of it. It's full of fish. It's a place for pleasure for the people. Lord, help us to be that kind of Christian and not a Dead Sea Christian. Because this Dead Sea has a river running into it, but none runs out of it. And it collects all these minerals and all this wealth, but it's dead. And fish don't live there because it's dead. It has the right name, a Dead Sea Christian. Lord, may we not be Dead Sea Christians. It has the right name of being the Dead Sea. May, may we not be Dead Sea Christians, Lord. Help us to love you, serve you, and give to you. And I know if we do, you will bless because you promised to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.